Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Wrestling Questions You Most Want Answered. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we preview and review Raw SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT 2. Oh, AEW Dynamite, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, <laughs> premium live events, pay-per-views, we have wrestling interviews, roundtable discussions, we uh, do in fact answer your wrestling questions on occasion, and we host, maybe not this week, a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. Do you know what wrestling question I most want answered, Cedric? And this is, uh, this is out to all of our listeners out here. That, what you've just done there, is a very deep office pull of a popper of one of the, when Tony Khan speaks the microphone, it's a bit funny. We can't find it, and we want this clip back. Yes. People will video Tony Khan every week when he's doing his bit to the crowd at Dynamite, and it was just this one week, and we would have had some fun with it at the time, where he's just doing his usual thing, where he's super, mega, ultra excited, and his voice changes impossibly. So he goes like, AW Dynamite! AW Dynamite! If anyone knows the Dynamite we're on about, the Rampage tape and whatever it was, I reckon it's got to be from 2022. Maybe I... Please track it down, because we miss it daily. Why does he say... So, yeah, he says... AW Dynamite, AW Dynamite. I don't know why he says it twice. No, much less in a completely different tone. Yeah. His first tone is oddly very night is Vince, isn't it? Yeah. Unbelievable, Sean. Michael's not going to die. AW Dynamite. Like that. <laughs> oh, what a maneuver on AW Dynamite. <laughs> so our first question of the day comes from Matt Milam. Matt Milam. This is a really great question. They're all pretty damn good. This one, I want to... Uh, very... Um, Good question in particular, I think, is from Matt Milam. Is there any current ethos, attribute, or strategy from another promotion that you would take and apply to AEW slash WWE right now to help them improve? For example, Impact's perception of the women's division, New Japan Pro Wrestling's card layout, etc. Many thanks. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you, Matt Milam, for your continued loyalty and listens. I would write... I don't know how you do this on episodic TV, um, but I absolutely adore just the framework, the general framework with which New Japan Pro Wrestling produces and lays out its shows. I love watching the guys drenched in sweat, icing their necks, selling literally what's just happened in the match. You never just sell when the bell stops ringing or when the bell is rang for the second time. You sell it after. You sell it on your walkout. The um, the platform uh, with which New Japan Pro Wrestlers deliver most of their promos helps sell the match. It helps make it feel like this really 
sort of arduous, attritional sporting endeavour that they've just barely survived. Um, and the promos are great because they're unscripted, and it feels like just I love that backdrop of the press conferences sort of thing and the flashbulbs yeah. going off. And I would love AEW to integrate something like that as opposed to these jabronified backstage interruption promos. Uh, but I don't know how you get around doing it. Again, I have object permanence. I do not need the interference or the interruption of the person um, or the act with whom the interview subject is feuding because I, I can remember that detail. Yeah. In fact, I only need one wrestler to mm. bring up that person's name. Um, so I'd like to see that. I think it's just the perfect way to deliver promos and build interest in matches in a very realistic sporting context, which I really would like more of from AEW. Um, additionally, um, I agree with uh, Mr. Milam in terms of the card layout. I understand that the big thing in American pay-per-view wrestling is to start off with a hot bang, yeah. the hot opener, and it sets the tone. I would sacrifice that and just borrow the um, the New Japan mega show formula of inessential, sh- the least essential shortest match goes on first, and then it builds in a big, beautiful diagonal line to a crescendo of length, stakes, importance, quality, all the way to the main event, so that the interest level never dips once. Those are my two things. Have you got anything? Well, mine's more of an abstract ethos thing, and I don't have the answer for it. So it's like, not really a question that you most want answered, actually. But I want to see it. Um, and I don't know my, unfortunately, I wish my interest went beyond the bubble of the things that we cover, and indeed mainstream promotions in general I can absolutely extend to. Uh, New Japan or Impact here and there, but then beyond that, I'm just not consuming as much wrestling outside of the like deluge of content from AEW and WWE. But I, I sense from stardom, and then also a lesser extent from Gleet, maybe, and again, I, I could be miles off there, I just sense it, I still have a big problem with major wrestling organizations, the majors, AEW and WWE, not f- finding what it is that attracts young fans. Like, it's it's a huge issue, and luckily, both companies are well, are secured by their, um, the sort of the beloved audience that they've currently got, investing more than they have I've done before. So AW's, AW has absolutely found the millennials from day one. Not least, they were disenfranchised millennial WWE fans our age and below, I guess. I'm sorry, our age and above that had discovered the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, whatever, yeah. New Japan's Rise, the Indies of that era, Ring of Honor. AW has brought all of that together specifically. WWE hasn't had it in forever, but have proven they kind of don't need it. They skew older or very young for children. I think it's great that there's wrestling for children. Like, on it, like that's how I found it, so I want kids of yeah, five, yeah, six same, years yeah. old to find it. What is there for, like, a 12, 13, 14-year-old, 15-year-old? Like, you can see, I can see music that is for very, very young people because it is no longer for me. And it's like, get out of the way, old man. This is ours. Yeah. Wrestling does not seem to be trying to find it. And I just get, and the only reason I say that about Glee and Stardom is because I'm judging their audience responses to things online. So within the wrestling critique bubble of Twitter or Reddit or wherever I happen to get exposed to this, it appears to be people of... 17, 18, 19, 20 that are finding this and loving it and feel like somehow it's speaking to them. And I just don't feel like mainstream American promotions even try. I include Impact in that. I know they're not quite that level yeah. anymore. I, it, it doesn't even feel like an attempt is being made to find them. Yeah, AEW has got the... What's uh, the middle number between 18 and 49? Whatever it is, yes. it's closer to 49 than 18. Yes. The average, I would expect, 
Um, yeah, and the yes, median ain't the median. Yeah, I would like to believe that's the case. It's a 37-year-old uh, who grew up on good, logical, old-fashioned wrestling that was exciting in its day. Having this rebooted is perfect for me, but, yeah, is it connecting with really young people? I don't really... Um, I'm comfortable with not all wrestling being for me, so I'd like to be shown more of that so I can understand yeah. what it is that makes it work. Do you know, that's what it no. is. That's me with my, like... The thing is, I would rather watch, and this is going to sound like such a weird thing, but it's wrestling. Bear with me. I would rather watch a great wrestling show that is aimed at kids as an adult rather than, like, a really bad oh, yeah. derivative wrestling show that's meant for me. And I'm using a very, very, very specific example. I'm not weird, I promise. Saturday Morning Slam... exactly what I was thinking. Yep. ...was so much better than Raw and SmackDown at the time. I have no earthly idea. It's surely economical. Mm-hmm. Why they didn't proceed with... If not that, it should have acted as a pilot or proof of concept. Because a lot of adults like going, I'd much rather watch uh, Curtis Axel. They had rules when WWE didn't. Like actually running the ropes yeah. and forgetting that he was meant to be doing something at the end of it in a bit comedic. It's a, uh, Danielson and Kid who had yeah. that absolutely it's awesome great. no contact to the head match. Yeah. Like and again that fits in with my whole ethos of wrestling and rules and how rules are actually fun. Yeah. That limitation was a feature not a bug when you've got two wrestlers who are so high caliber in terms of Tyson Kidd and Brian Danielson. They put on something incredibly entertaining because they knew they had to really think about what little they could do. I think wrestling in general could benefit, I know this is a bit of a sprawling tangent, but wrestling in general could benefit from that kind of test, that Mm -hmm. kind of limitation to avoid the excess into which it's plunged between weapons, gimmick matches, uh, long matches, tropes, and all the rest of it. Like, I would much rather watch a Saturday morning slam start. And the AEW's really got the roster. Cassidy on Saturday morning oh, yeah. TV. And I know he's like thirty-seven, and that's ah, a perception thing. Just, it's but I watched it how it's presented. Isn't I it? watched WWF wrestlers in the mid twenties, and I thought they were forty. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, they all um, older, and yeah, I think they've got the talent to do a Saturday morning show. And when you keep hearing whispers of and it's hard because they bleed and they say this word on TV all the time. But there could be two separate ones. Yes, I think there could be two. Se- that's the brand split I would prefer to see out of mm-hmm. AEW. Um, because yeah, I do want wrestling to kind of just be for us, can it? Yeah, can't like, just be and, for and us. And you're very it conscious that it is. For us. Like, yeah, I remember going to a, um, a WWE house show in Newcastle, and some lads right did this chant: uh-huh. "Wrestling not for kids. Wrestling, wrestling's not for kids." When <laughs> like. Santino was just literally popping children in the audience. Put a sock on his hand. Putting by putting a sock <laughs> in his hand. Yeah. I said, like, "I know you get it. You don't like John Cena. I don't either." But wrestling is for kids. That's grim. It really was grim. I've had lots of questions, or we've had lots of questions rather along this topic. So, um, just for one of the many, Lewis or Louis. Confusing, actually. Saint Louis. Saint Louis. Is it can, so. It's Saint Louis. Remember. I can never remember. But sometimes it's Louis. It's confusing, actually. It uh, says, do you think AEW should turn MGF or keep him heel? I know that the uh, it's tempting to say, well, go with the flow. The fans obviously want to see him turn babyface. The guy's 26. There is so much time in his career should he choose to do it. He's obviously talented enough to do film at this point, so it might not be the longest pro wrestling career. 
but um, he's only 26. He's got the world in his hands, much more than Bray Wyatt, actually. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the difference here is that when you had John Cena in a sort of the reverse situation, just constantly, constantly getting booed and booed and booed, with a naive lack of business acumen. A lot of fans, and God damn it, I include myself in this, were like, well, you have to turn him heel. I'm sick of these reactions. I'm sick of no other baby face I actually like, audibly like, financially invest in, not getting pushed at the top of the card. Um, but the difference is with MJF, it's that it's not untenable mm. to like, half of the crowd, him remaining as a heel. He can get booed in every single promo. Um in the way that John Cena couldn't, no matter how much he tried to suck up to get cheered. And it's not as if there aren't, like, three baby faces off the top of my head that MJF could feud with over the span of a year yeah. to have that heel run and solidify that original vision and then go on to be face where he could take a year off and chase for a title and then win it again. Mm. You've got Eddie Kingston. You've got Hangman Page, who's going to be even more of a baby face after this in the... Optimistic event that he can, in fact, yeah. come back. We should not um, undermine how serious concussions are. You've got John Moxley. It's the same punk square. Again, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think you should turn him heel yet. If you were, if there wasn't, to quote the great man uh, Taz, a plethora of baby faces, yes, you would do that. You mm. would fulfill the need of the audience and slot someone in where he's needed. He really isn't needed in that role. So, for me, it's a total luxury they have on their hands, so there's no pressing need. I think as well, um, unfortunately, there's no um, is rubric, the word I'm looking for here. There's no absolute set way that you do things every single way at the same time. There is a case, plenty of cases in wrestling where the best bit is when they're still officially a heel and haven't turned babyface. So when a wrestler is being cheered, and yet by the letter of the law, they're still the bad guy, that's often like the peak. You just don't realise it. I don't think... MJF, I believe him to be every bit as generational as he says he is. So I imagine the day the babyface turn comes, he's already done every bit of reading, watched every bit of tape. He knows exactly who he wants to be and the version of the babyface he wants to be and when to shoot a look and when not to and all that. But I kind of think where we're at right now, and I understand the thirst and the energy from him to be just out and out babyface and do all of his stuff but do it towards villains instead of heroes. Sometimes this is as fun as it gets when everybody's cheering and then he does something to cut you off. And then you're like, oh, yeah, absolute bastard. But then you want to cheer him again when things go good. And I, I don't know. I think there's a real magic to that because that's sometimes as over as like, you know, when, you know, when Steve Austin stopped, just subtly stopped saying, I don't care if these people cheer for me. I'm going to come out here and kick ass every week. It's like, I'm still going to cheer for you. But like, it was really cool when you yeah, yeah. To, and I was doing it anyway. Yeah. We're going to do it anyway. So he's kind of in that. We're going to do it anyway. We're gonna do it anyway. We're gonna do it anyway. Thank you very much for that. Um, there are, of course, cases where you can miss it, where you can miss your window. I would argue uh, they could get it back again. I think they might have missed the window with Britt Baker. If we reflect now, maybe you should have just turned a babyface because instead we had a long, protracted period of her doing not that much as a heel and losing a bit of momentum. Like, she's at a good level, but there was a point where she was kind of becoming... The thing that I remember feeling like, oh, I wish I could go to Live Dynamite. I want to do the Britt Baker DMD. Yeah. Be there for that specific wrestler more than anything else on the card. We're not there now. So maybe, you know, there is a thing, there is a case of, well, sometimes it's just best to do it. 
But I don't think MJF's got that to worry about. I'm enjoying this. I, I love this period of when a heel is generating cheers and then is able to flip yeah. it because they're talented enough to know what know their role, know what they're doing right now. It's like they can do no wrong. Yeah, that's exactly and I watch that, it. Yeah. And I like watching people who are like just totally invincible. Yeah. And MJF is invincible at the moment. Here's a question from Just Bones, and it is simply: Do y'all believe in Joe Hendry? I believe in Joe Hendry. Because we love him in Scotland and <laughs> Tokyo. Yeah, I believe in Joe Hendry. I believe in Joe Hendry. And yeah, I think he's got a lot of buzz in Impact. Deservedly so. He has developed a physique and a style around which to work. Um, using that physique, um, a power-based style, absolutely. Um, the man is piss funny, endlessly creative. And I know that because I've been following him for several years and he never fails to amuse me mm. in a way that some mid-card gimmicks can. Yeah, I, I find everything it's he does. It's the difference between huh, and actually laughing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Joe Hendry consistently amuses me, which is difficult for a comedy wrestler to do. And ultimately, I know that the dig was, well, what can he realistically do in a major um, if he's... You can't perform licensed song parodies in WWE, which I think is his, should be anyway his ultimate destination. Yeah. I think he would fit in there a bit more than in AEW. Um, this company has a library, <laughs> an absolute library of in-house music that they can not spend a single extra penny on because they own it, that Joe Hendry can do taunt songs. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to necessarily, and it's a good job actually, doesn't have to necessarily taunt a an opponent if you were to appear on Raw and SmackDown with their own theme, because how are you going to do a parody on that? Yeah. He can do um, Sexy Boy and change the lyrics about like anyone. Yeah. He can just, he, that's how creative it is, he is. Um, so yeah, I believe in Joe Hendry. Yeah, same. It's, uh, it's just, I would like this impact run as well to... Uh, this specific one, I think, to bear out all of Joe Henry's potential because I think this... It was nice to see this gimmick getting a bit of steam. You know, I believe in Joe Henry, the vignettes, the work that he'd gone into it. I think of all the things that he's tried and all of them have served... Bit, I think all of them have had a valid place at progressing a higher level than maybe Joe Henry's been at. This feels like the one. Yeah. I want this to be the one that propels him because you can still do the theme tune taunts, but there's, I think there's more to his character without the direct parodies. I think you can musically mock your opponents or you can use like Hendry's, you know, his video editing and all the sort of vignettes that he creates without the licensing issue. I think you can get around that by just not using licensed themes this time. I think this character's got a bit more about it. To, like, that original, that well. yeah, that original exactly. theme is as good as anything that WWE has produced, or if, if not better, yeah. over the past several years. So here's another question. This one comes from Dylan Caster. Um, how long does MGF's eventual title reign last, and who are the options to take it off him? Eddie Kingston. Yeah. But no, it has to go long, I think. I think so. I, uh, I'm i going to bring a controversial take to the table, but I, like there's some rationale behind it, right? Uh, who is MGF's favorite wrestler? Who is his inspiration? Roddy Piper. What did Roddy Piper never do? Win a world title. You see what I'm getting at here? Yeah, and it's wrong, actually. There's a guy. <laughs> That could be, that could have this as the one thing. MJF's character, I think he will win the title, by the way. I'm just offering an alternate hypothetical. Uh, There's a character that has 
told us more drip fed us kind of more and more things about what has made him the person that he is. Uh, and he doesn't want for much, and it's almost it's a weakness to reveal that you want things, and you th- when you're an MJF type character, because you shouldn't really thirst for things, and yet he wants the AEW World Title, and he failed in his pursuit to get it once in a like a wacky presidential campaign, and now he's going about it a completely different way, and all the rest of it, and obviously of course we're in wrestling to win the big one, and so on and so on, but if anyone could pull off an inability to actually get it done in the way that Piper did, I appreciate the industry was different. I think it would be MJF. I am. They've done a fabulous job already in, what, two days, I guess, of the Moxley-MJF build because the way in which that they've arrived at a match, it's allowed you to think of various permutations. There is a permutation, I think, and I'm sure we'll cover this in multiple preview podcasts and the like, where MJF loses here and what the hell happens next to an MJF that loses because for once in his life, he tried to do it the right way. That is as powerful a message yeah. in his character as finally getting over the line. Oh, I do like that, actually. See what I mean? Like, it's just, and it's all on him. It's all this world that he continues to create and make bigger and bigger and bigger than it's ever been. Um, so I do think he'll win, but I'm starting to really entertain the prospect of him not, and them them as a company and him as a performer, having the creative to know exactly where to go next with that, for the longer term. As yeah. Because well. if he does keep it, I think he keeps it for a long time. But I think if he's going to get it, I would imagine last six months of 2023. Yeah, because they want the War Twenty Twenty Four thing to be. I think you go for that being hot and fresh rather than oh, it's been a, like rather than the Roman Reigns thing. If it's been a year and a half and nobody can get it off him, that, can you really buy that with yeah. the way that AW books its baby faces? I'm not so sure. Like sooner or later, the baby faces are going to look kind of stupid, actually. Yeah. Whereas they're proper baby faces in AW. You know, they they get the job done. They say what they're going to do, yeah. and then they do it. So I would say if you're going to have it, maybe make it just six months or so and. Kingston's a nice... In that War of 2024 scenario, Kingston is certainly an excellent saviour. Along similar lines, Mimi asks, who would you guys have take the TNT title off Wardlow? <sighs> There's a million options. A million options for me. Like, I don't necessarily think that the they'll stinger. do this. You are The Stinger. The Stinger. <laughs> I want to have a tag or a trios run before he has to actually retire. I think that would be incredible. Belt Sting. <laughs> <laughs> belted sting would just be unbelievable on me. Yeah. I was gonna press do it anyway there. <laughs> um I like the idea, and they have kind of explored this before and after of Wardlow being the king of the hosses. Mm-hmm. He beat W. Morrissey, he beat Lance Archer, and the build to the MGF match. Um He's gonna beat Joe probably. He's probably gonna be Joe at the end of this, um, in a match born out of mutual respect. He beat Brian Cage in a banger. Um I like the idea of Miro yeah. beating Wardlow and maybe even giving him back. Um, just, I just want to see Miro on TV. I think people have really forgotten. Actually, you know what? I don't think they have forgotten because I no. see a lot of sentiment along the lines of, where's Miro gone? I want to see Miro again. His character work in 2021 was one of the absolute highs of that promotion in Think of the Year. 2021, yep. it was amazing, absolutely amazing. This a ridiculous cornucopia of wrestling brilliance was gifted to us in 2021, yep. and Redeemer Miro was one of the highlights mm-hmm. still. Uh, for me, I think I said this when he first won the title, and it, you know, I guess it offers an al- another alternate answer to the last question. I would love them to arrive at unbeaten Wardlow versus MJF title for title. And uh, Wardlow to win the belt, like win the belt of oh. MJF, and that then I guess he would have to surrender the TNT title or something. You know what I mean? But like, 
ascends to that level and then the TNT title is vacated as a result of him unifying the two or whatever. Something like that. I, I can't foresee anybody beating him and I don't know why you would for a long time as well. It's not so... Um, He'd be fine. He could absorb a loss here or there, but I just think, as you say, he's the guy that's beating up all the hosses. And I, as a babyface, especially, do you really want to watch him be like out wrestled by a heel that takes the title off him? Yeah. Or do you want to, do you want to see him be cheated? Because the thing with giants and monsters, as cool and as contemporary as Wardlow is, it's typical that they end up looking stupid for losing. Like the big dumb idiot gets like there's three of the heels outside, and that's how he loses. Yeah. It just feels a bit cheap and rubbish. And yeah. for the most part, they've taken really good care with Wardlow. So. Like strap him up with the big belt, and that's how he loses the TNT. Mm. And another like, like another guy that like finds justice where MJF's about to take it with yeah. him. Or like that. Ah, Herm Grohn, isn't he? Herm Grohn. So I've got a question here, and it reads: Yes, hi, Matt Reigns here, the number one Cedric Mega fan, actually, from <laughs> Maryland. Of, Maryland from Maryland, of course. I know it's tough to speculate. But it seems like the elite are coming back sooner rather than later, perhaps full gear. Do you put the belts back on them immediately upon their return? Cheers, King. Yes, yes, I do. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no backup plan. Why would there be? This was the primary plan going back uh, almost two years, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So I just don't see the need to piss around. I don't like the idea of AEW punishment booking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a stupid thing to do. You're either getting punished or you're getting booked. Yeah, it's it's one or the other for me. I don't think they need to be g- gradually brought back into the fold. I think they should realistically just smash Death Triangle um, over the course of an absolutely scintillating, ridiculously exciting uh, trios match. But they should smash him and they should beat him and then they should just. Uh, go back on course for whatever it is that they were going to do next. And again, I'm, I'm reading into the tea leaves because um, this is just what I do when it pertains to everything that the elite do. But why, when you've got so few trios and your main trio not there, would you even tease a death triangle split? This makes me think that they are kind of half cooking this one with the mm. idea being that, well, the elite are going to be the main trios champions going forward. Yeah, I don't like punishment booking. And ultimately, as much as I personally loved it, and mega fans of the Elite personally loved it, the Kenny Omega coming back from injury was yet another bold experimental choice in which he made himself look weak visually and sold being weak physically for the idea of it's going to be magic when you reach the payoff to the storyline, but it wasn't a big ratings hit. And maybe they could just do with the idea of, right, the Elite are back, and guess what? They're stars and they still are... um, I'm not saying that in future they should abandon these really bold, um, slow burn storylines. Um, but yeah, you don't want to piss about too much when that Kenny Omega return wasn't quite the hit that it could have been. I don't want them to play it safe, but it's it's mass audience wrestling at the end of the day. I think they've only ever found this is not exactly the question, but I, like I think they've only ever found maybe like a six month window, maybe even less than that. Where it's a good guy, Matt Reigns, isn't he? Uh, like the perfect marriage of Kenny Omega, big ideas, and Kenny Omega TV wrestling star, and that would be the very end of his title run. I think enough wins had been banked, and he was so locked into that character. And I think the the evidence of that is in the like the sustained heat around the Brian Danielson match, both the build up to it, the fact that it was in Arthur Ashe, and the way the match played out. Like here we are. We- Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? 
Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah, and under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Reached the point, the perfect ideal area is the world heavyweight champion, looking every bit the champion and feeling like a guy that belongs as a TV wrestling champion. On both occasions, you've like acknowledged the long story that Kenny Mega is telling of making himself worse to ultimately make the payoff and getting better, even better. But it just doesn't click. Like objectively, it doesn't connect numbers wise. And I think sometimes His title reign in 2021 did. Well, this is what I mean. I think when by the time, like, I would say by the time the crowds are coming back, especially, yeah. you had this perfect ideal. And then by the time he loses Tangman Page, if you only need to look at the Ghostbusters match, I think there's evidence of this. That isn't just a party match with costumes. That's people that are heavily mega invested in the, the long, long story, but are willing to watch Kenny Omega, TV star, piss about a little bit. So I think that they absolutely nailed it for that six-month run. And I think you get back there, if you want to do it with the trios belts, the same way. Yeah, yeah. Like you get them, you get it back on them and you keep it simple because it's already been a wonky start to life. And I think questions are being asked about the potential quality of this division as if like the window has been missed by two full years because you waited so long for the elite yeah. to be ready. So it's looking like a vanity project. It's looking a bit barren in terms of the division, but the elite as champions can hide it. So them effectively offering a Cody Rhodes-esque open challenge every week yeah. to existing trios or teams of three that's fancy them giving a go. What a bunch of weird dream matches that could potentially yeah. concoct. So I just think it, it is the simplest approach. And until until it's clear, we would talk about this earlier on, me and Murray, until it's exactly clear how the fans receive, say if Punk came back as well, how the fans receive the Elite and CM Punk. Well, wait there. It's possible. Wait there, wait there. No, no, ah, no, no, okay. I've got a question well, you got? about that. We're going to finish that later on. That is the final question. Oh, all right. So don't step on your own dick. Step on my own dick. Actually. Uh, right. 
we are nearing the final thoid of the podcast, <laughs> and I'm going to have to do this as well, but keep it brief, because Sean Murphy says, top five Brett matches. That's good. Yeah, good. That's good. You want to just volley them back and forth, and then you can get the last one. Right. Brett versus Owen. I think I prefer to Brett versus Austin, actually, what? because the level of technical wrestling is just liquid. The way that they build the tension. Bret Hart, do you fancy yourself a film director? Yes. That's how he approached <laughs> yeah. that's how he approached his art in his own words. And the shot of Bret Hart looking at Owen as if to say, You cock, and don't take it too far. You will get what you don't want out of me mm-hmm. when you think that's what you want, and I'll fight you. I will actually fight you if you continue to be a prick like this. Did he campaign for that shot? I don't know. I th- it's a, like I, He must have said. It's no the way. first time I recall WWE using it. I know it was Madison Square Garden and it was a WrestleMania so that those things are typically when they do try stuff but we didn't see much of it after that, did we? Yeah. Only when you would have ladder matches yeah. and hang the camera on the belt thing. So. It feels like Brett really wanted to get that in. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, it couldn't have been Vince because one, no, he was pretty good at the time. <laughs> uh, but he didn't want that match to happen because why would brother, brothers fight? Brothers don't fight. Right? Brothers don't fight. But yeah. yeah, that match, the way it just builds the tension and gives you every reason to want Brett to just lash out and for Brett himself to lash out. Just it's so elegantly, exquisitely told. Just a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, well, so I feel like we, if we just go the obvious ones, it's top five. So they want the absolute peak of the best things that he's ever done. Or like they just do, our, but I'm going to give you yeah. personal faves because I like. I'm going to go personal faves I as well. I'll go put like, like I, I think we can both just rule out Bret Hart and Steve Austin. It's I consider it the most important WWE match ever. But you've seen it, or if you've not seen it, you go and watch it. It's the easiest recommendation. Bret Hart versus Diesel Survive Series 1995. It's the payoff to a really underrated um, trilogy, in my opinion, because the fourth match, the cage match, the following year wasn't so great. Um, but Bret Hart plays situational heel for the second time in this trilogy, um, but does so to set up a heel turn by Diesel, and that's built into Bret Hart's inherent genius. He's able to be a little bit, not sneaky, but just colour outside the lines, but play it as desperation and things he's learned and how to take down a giant and how to work around the physical dominance of a Diesel. And that plays into the longer story, the fact that Diesel's had the title for 12 months. So you're patronising him if you don't give him the very best version of yourself. And if you don't make it look as if you've spent weeks analysing a whiteboard where you've drawn little yeah. sort of football tactician sketches of how you weaken the legs, of all the bullet points, of all the tape that you've watched of, well, Diesel's beaten this guy and this guy, and it's been 12 months. And he had my number twice before. So, like, I know what physically hurts and what I've got to avoid. And, you know, there's things like the, so the finish has the big table spot, the first of its kind in WWE, and just the absolutely incredible moment where Diesel shows sympathy only for Brett to cradle him in the most tightest of cradles. Because it had to be, because Diesel's yeah. foot tall and Brett understands the merits of that. That is, that is so rewarding on rewatch for a million little details of what Brett puts into it. And that is the quintessential Brett Hart experience. Like, he will give you endless rewatches of his work because you could focus. Remember when Sky had player cam? And it was a stupid yes. idea, but it was nice in theory. Why would you watch the whole game when you can just watch the running patterns of one player? Uh, I can give you loads of good reasons, yeah, Sky, yeah. but thanks for the camera in theory. 
that's what you get out of rewatching Brett. It's like, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to watch his facials. Or what I'm going to do today is like, when he sells, when I know, because I've seen this match a million times, when he sells his back after the first time Diesel drives him into the post, I'm just going to watch all the stuff that relates to Brett's back. Yeah. And it's just, it's all over that Survivor Series 95 match. So got Brett Owen and Brett Austin, those are the two absolute premier ones. Um, the Diesel, for me, it's not even the best match he had in 1995. The Jean-Pierre Lafitte yeah, match, yeah. right? This is the this illustrates the true genius of Bret Hart. He was given an absolute procession of uneven talents, but almost to a man, terrible personas, yeah. cartoonish, just garbage, right? So he's got a opponent, Jean-Pierre Lafitte, PCO, actually. And he's kind of an evil pirate guy who steals his jacket. Yep. <laughs> That's all he's got to work with, right? That's all he's got to work with on the surface. But Bret Hart was a very deep thinker. So he's had to think to himself, right, what has this guy got? How can I put him over as a threat? How can I create the most exciting and logical match possible? Then he conducts and he says, go. Right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do an absolutely horrible bump on my own head. <laughs> <laughs> with a suicide dive to instantly convey the idea of if I don't get this brawny unit like off his feet immediately and if I don't do that, I'm probably going to lose. Mm-hmm. And if I don't sell this guy as a threat, the ultimate early risk needs to be done. Otherwise, he's going to beat me. And then he's going to come back into it, of course, because it's a twist, because he just directs things cinematically, actually. And there's a spot, and it's this is why he's PCO, where this is like somersault plancher yeah. sent on thing over the top rope. And Bret Hart, with just legitimately magic timing and trust and instincts, gets out the way in nanosecond in time. Splat. <laughs> you hear this guy's organs, his organs collide <laughs> against his rib cage, and it's ghoulish, it's awesome, it's incredibly dramatic, and anybody else would just have worked, and like, oh, I've got the pirate. Brahal was like, give me the pirate. Give me the pirate. Along, give, me the, give me the ninja, give me the king, give me the dentist, give me the pirate. Along similar lines, if you're a long-term fan of WWE, what I want you to do is imagine... Charles the Godfather Wright working in 1999. Oh my God, I know where you're going. He could not look less like an athlete, despite his immense proportions, less like a threat. He kind of runs funny. He can do power stuff. Massive legs. Massive legs, he, but he runs funny as a, as a result. He can like slam against you, but it's all so rudimentary and sloppy and just looks weird. Bret Hart versus Papa Shango from a 1992 Saturday night's main event. He just has a similar structure to um, the Jean-Pierre Lafitte match where it's like, I'm going to kill him straight away. Yeah. I have to fight with a sense of urgency. I have to abandon all pretense of my scientific knowledge of how to break people down from the trunk right to the top of the tree because that ain't going to work against someone who has been characterized as a pretty evil monster I just have to kill him and quickly. I l- he's just the best. Bret Hart was the best. He was the absolute best. Absolute best. I need to chuck in two because I had one there and you made me think another with that description. And uh, yeah, we had no chance of cutting this question short, did we? Um, first one is Bret Hart versus Doink and Jerry Lawler at SummerSlam 1993. Yeah, 
Yeah. The other button ready for it. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's the whole point was. But also a brawling. So good at brawling. So he's livid with Jerry Lawler for trying to be a phony faker and get out the match. So he sends in Doink, obviously. And the whole point of the Doink carriage in the first six to eight months was that he was, given the opportunity to do so, able to prove himself as quite a dangerous professional wrestler. Um, the clown stuff was a part of a quite a dangerous psychopath, but the one that had been to wrestling school and instead had kind of got lost in his own world and was doing the clown stuff as a way to get back in. So Brett almost like shows that work respect and completely legitimizes the wrestling clown. Over about 15 incredible minutes, he is involved in this technical masterclass because he takes him seriously from the off, but he needs to beat him because if he can just get Doink out of the way, finally he can get Joe Lawler, and there can be no excuse. There can be no, he knows the leg injuries are fake, etc. So you just get this unexpected, unadvertised pay-per-view ripper between the two before Lawler gets in and turns into the um, the brawl and the blood feud and how much of a blood feud did this feel when you were a young Bret Hart fan as well. Like, mm. like you would die through the TV screen just to decorate Lawler yourself if you could. It was that kind of thing. And Bret... Uh, just on the kind of almost ultimate warrior, I'm not selling for you, I'm going to kill you streak against Jerry Lawler and how he really like sort of, I'm going to have to, I don't want to step on your dick here, how he like deftly dictates the manner in which like he's going to sell for Lawler, what Lawler has to do just to even get a shot in on him yeah. because they're not on the same level, especially in WWE canon. It's one thing maybe down in Memphis, but like Bret Hart is all the way up here compared to this no good cheating like brawler, shortcut taking Jerry Lawler. So the manner in which he affords Lawler just that little bit of advantage to then take it back, but do it with such fume that obviously ultimately it costs him and it continues a feud. It's 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 an epic, epic 20 minutes of television right around the time. Like you were a pay-per-view away from uh, Clowns R Us. Yeah. Like Mo running, like going around the ring on a scooter. And yet this is what Bret Hart was yeah. creating. And funnily enough, two months after Mo rides around the scooter, this is cheating a little bit. You need to watch Bret Hart's contributions to the Royal Rumble 1994 pay-per-view. Bret and Owen versus the Khaki Quebecers. And then Bret Hart's place in the I Royal Rumble. thought his Rumble. leg was hanging off. Yeah, Bret Hart's place in the Royal Rumble when you think all is lost. whole thing is unbelievable. Poor old Lex Luger did not stand a chance. <laughs> like, there, no way, no way was anybody watching that. Like, I was chanting Luger. <laughs> Like no. Vince McMahon, every fan in the building, just it's that's it. Lucas Bush is dead there because Brett is the guy, and people have been waiting since WrestleMania 9 to re him. Arguably, not even his best night of show long selling and storytelling no. either, which is King of the Ring 93. King but we can't, we can't keep doing this. We can't keep doing this. Michael Caller with great taste in music asks, Which AEW folks will end up on Wrestle Kingdom this year? I know who isn't. We can rule out Swerve Strickland. Darby Allen and Brian Danielson, because AEW Dynamite originates, and the, uh, the voice of Tony Schiavone, from Seattle, Washington, ah. uh, from uh, January 4th. So it makes zero sense for mm-hmm. Danielson to be at the Tokyo Dome, which is uh, a bit of a grim sentence to read. Yeah. But regardless, it's a weird one. It's a weird one to do it on that week. Um, that doesn't preclude... Like usually they do book their home state, country, uh, county, county, city guys county on that show because <laughs> it just makes no sense for them to not do that. So I can readily imagine that Danielson will be at the Seattle show if you've bought a ticket. Darby Allen's from the Pacific Northwest as well um, as a swive. Um. So, anyone else? I guess is fair game. Lance You're Archer. right in between a bloody pay- Lance Archer. Oh, bloody Lance Archer. <laughs> the benefit to everybody else will be Lance Archer. The benefit is that it sits between Full Gear 
and Revolution, which there's a long old gap between those two shows. So you're not looking at a show that's two weeks or three weeks before an AEW major event, and they don't like to miss a week. They do like to make money. It's a it's a mass audience wrestling TV show. Even if there's the, the, the feuds run out of steam or if it doesn't need a week realistically, that you'll get the week because they like to hammer home. But it's not in those weeks before Revolution. So you could get, if he comes back, you could get Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could get... Um, Miro versus Ishii because they were Miro, clearly yeah. l- in love with the idea of Miro and Ishii interacting in that match, hence why Ishii was going to be in it before he was one of the millionth people injured. And Gato has absolutely no compunction about beating Ishii. He just doesn't see him as a tippy-top A-caliber star. And yet, because he's Ishii and such a genius, he'll always retain his heat and his cred. So I would say Miro versus Ishii... And what a cool way that would be to just gently remind people that Miro rules. Yeah, Miro was one that stuck out to me uh, for no real reason, and the Ishii match makes perfect sense as well. Uh, the Elite, if they're kicking around, would, I mean, that would be so much money. Like, imagining the Elite back in their Tokyo Dome, maybe defending the trios titles, and this this idea that Kenny Omega is back in this place that for so many years he made his own, but he's doing it on the undercard, and he's doing it knowingly, and he's willing to take a step back as it like tiptoeing back into New Japan lore, I guess. I was trying to think of uh who from this year's Forbidden Door I would have liked to have seen something different. Yeah. And the reality was it was probably quite a lot of people I would like to have seen doing something different. But obviously because he came back as a special attraction, what about uh Claudio doing something over there? Like yes. it's not something he's been able to do since leaving WWE but be only, yeah. he's Oh my god! Been a world champion. He's got his big moment in AEW. That could be something he could tick off. That was surely on his bucket list. And assuming that he's not AEW world champion, this is the obvious answer and the easy answer. But the answer to every question is John Moxley. He is the Forbidden Door, as he once said. If John Moxley hasn't got a belt, I appreciate AEW might be worried about alienating their own like US audience by not having him there in person. But if you advertise a match big enough, that might just alleviate the complaints. If you've got stuff that's so cool on Dynamite that people can afford Moxley not being there, and at the same time, you know these locked-in wrestling fans are going to go home and watch, I don't know, John Moxley versus Kazuchi Ricardo, whatever the big match is, you're probably going to be all right because you look on the outside that you've allowed your top performer to go over there and do something cool. Moxley in New Japan somehow feels unfinished. Mm -hmm. He spent a year fighting the dads. He was perfect for the Tanahashi role at Forbidden Door in the place CM Punk. He could be the ace there. And yet, there still feels like there's so much yet to mine from what we couldn't get during 2020. uh, Penultimate question here. John Oldfield asks, if the potential direction of Bray Wyatt is a feud with himself, how would you guys book it? Is it possible? Would he be face or heel? Well, it'd be both. Yeah. I don't know what he does here. I think there's a dual identity gimmick looming. I don't think anyone else is going to play the role of the guy in the mask. Like, can you imagine how pathetic it would be if there's a guy and it's just one of your tightest, uh, great fundamentals yeah. NXT guys? Is that right? You're just going to be Gallows as Kane working under a mask to play Bray Wyatt mm-hmm. as he has this elaborate contest with himself. Um, to reflect the fact that he's literally fighting his personal demons. I don't know how it's that, Axiom. I don't know how that Bring would an work. It's Axiom. <laughs> That's Axiom. <laughs> um, another Roddy Piper reference on this pod. <laughs> so I don't think they're going to do Gallows Kane versus Jacobs Kane. 
with just someone who fits the physical profile under the mask. I think he will embody the guy in the mask in certain matches. And I'm, I don't know how they're going to do this. But ultimately, it's one of those where it's like, you know, when it was Ezekiel and uh, Elias, and you thought, how are they going to, I know, camera trickery is the answer. Yeah. How they are going to make them appear on screen, add a little wrinkle to it, which they did with the pre-tape stuff and Owen's reaction. Um, I'm more interested in the physical architecture of how they do this than I am the storyline in itself. But yeah, if he feuds with himself, he's, they're not going to get some guy to do the Gallows Kane thing, I don't think. Any um, duality of man gimmick with him runs the risk of getting comparisons to The Fiend and indeed the massive failings of The Fiend as well. So you have to tread very carefully when you have an evil version of you know the, the Bray Wyatt that came back. I would like to see. I don't think you can do it for very long. And I think I would dare say maybe after one match, he would have to be, you know, a tortured soul corrupted by the demons of his best. But Bray Wyatt, to me, for the first time ever, came across like as an actual babyface in that yes. in that promo that he cut. I know it wasn't for everybody, but the fans are with him, were with him when he spoke. I'm fascinated to see if he can parlay that into at least one match. Bray Wyatt is back. <laughs> <laughs> what an indictment. One match. One. As, as, have you got it in you, Bray? I don't know. Because, you know, Daniel Bryan was in the other corner of the one match that you had as a singles. That was well, I, great. I meant, I meant that's as, aged too well. Actually. I meant as a, as a baby face, but that is also true, actually. So that's both bad. Um, I, I go back to this all the time. WWE's about moments, and one really cool one was the, the no-look point with the Roman spear. Because just for a second, people got a taste like, oh, can I cheer him now? Can yeah. we just start again with this crap? Can we, can we try again? And it felt like something was happening and nothing happened. Yeah. Um, and I just... You have, you definitely, definitely have the bulk of your fan base in your hands. So let's have a look at that for five to seven minutes tops. Absolutely no more with a clean finish. And just see, you know, just style. Oh, I don't know who the opponent is. Like, typically you would rely on some bland heel figure that's been around forever, like the Miz, but then that match at the paper they had was an absolute stinker. Yeah. <laughs> so I never want to see them on camera again. But you know what I mean? Someone along those lines where Bray gets... Up, some, somebody mocks Bray for actually coming out and just being himself and trying to be earnest. And he's don't be a dick, mate. Like, this is a different world. Like, mental health is health. And I'm going to end your physical health. At no mercy. And then he, you know, it's a bad headlock match. But I just want to see it once. Just see if he can. He can't. All right. Last question is from Harry Bolzonia. If, when, and the Elite return to AEW, who do you think... That's a great the, name. Who do you think the crowd will welcome back more? Will all be cheered equally? Will some be welcomed more than others? Will anyone be booed? And do you think it will be kept secret for the puppy? I'll give my thoughts very quickly. Wrestling fans, I try not to do this thing where every time you go on a, square, uh, a thread on Squared Circle, um, it's always like wrestling fans are fickle, AF. Yeah, I don't think that's the case. No, actually, I like to think of wrestling fans with a real degree of credit. I'll go two foot on the worst, but I think there's more good than bad. Mm. Actually, but I'm a wrestling fan. I get blinded by star power. I forgot my kind of fundamental. Oh, CM Punk's a bit of a cock, actually. When he returned, that's a point, isn't it? That's a point. Yeah, workers. Yeah, the workers. Yeah, so. I just distinctly remember, because I was so off base with this, I was thinking, how on earth is Cody actually going to return to WWE after spending the last three years 
Longer, actually, because he was doing it in ROH as well mm. and on being being the elite. There's Barry in WWE for wasting his career, for doing really stupid things like the invisible camera and invisible walls and looking at the telly funny and just being stupid generally and AEW's the best and we are <laughs> building this because we need to save everyone. You included WWE fan from ugh, WWE, the yeah. stupid monopoly that just does wrestling terribly. I'm going to go back, though. I, I am going to go back, <laughs> though. And I'm thinking, does he play the outsiders then? against Roman Reigns, who turns heel. Mm. Does he have this big contrite apology? No, he just comes back and everyone loves him because he's a star. Yeah. And that's what's going to happen here, I uh-huh. expect. Punk, uh, I reckon he'll get booed. I reckon he'll get the half-and-half half reaction yeah. if and when he comes back. Every sentiment I read online, and yes, it's only a sample, and yes, sometimes it's not even real, a lot of people do not like him mm. for what he's perceived to have done to this company and just left them in the shit. Like, people... I think people like this company more than CM Punk, even though he was the top star in the company. I think the brand value of AEW is so strong that people think of, ultimately, what was an attack of the elite. Um, They are perceiving that as an attack on the whole company. So I think the elite unanimously cheered at Punk half and half. Even though Punk was, I hate to admit this, at least for the for the year that where they coexisted, a bigger star. I think you're right uh, in all of that. I think it's really so interesting, and uh, you know you've got to doff your cap to Tony Khan, really, that CM Punk totally misread the pulse of the fan base second time around in assuming that he could go for, um, he could go for the throat of a rich company that he had found faults in and just assumed that people would go with him Pied Piper style as they did in WWE. Yeah. He genuinely believed that, that he could do that because there was evidence to suggest, well, it worked the first time. What's, what's in his mind, what's different about what I said on that stage in Las Vegas versus what I'm going to say at this press conference now? I'm going for the company. I'm going for the throat because I want to change things. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, and he misread it. He really misread. People actually back this brand. I, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's where the half and half reaction will come. And I think if all wounds are genuinely healed, I think part of that is having to accept what you're going to be best at. And I think CM Punk, in that, in this brave new world that we're philosophizing, he would be best served as a as a heel anyway. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, I'm not saying it's untenable that he could be a babyface again, but AEW has always existed with this understanding that its fans are like willfully plugged in to the scene and to the story and everything else. It's one of the reasons why there's been this sort of discord between the two sides because one side won't say anything and the fans are desperate for information for years. It's like, we got so much information for you. We got more information on YouTube shows that weren't even coming to your TV show. And now you can't tell us this. There's a belief that you get a version of some truth and some transparency and there's been none. So I think if they were to return, like all four of them were to return, I think it would just be a natural like a natural swing of those to the elite because they've just been part of this longer. And fans would gradually over a period of time, it would like being trust back, wouldn't it? Punk over a year or two of good work, heel or babyface, would probably earn fan support back. And like, glad we fixed that little row. Yeah. You're back now. And it would just become, it's time, innit? Time would make, make that seem a much smaller thing than it feels right now in the moment we're living through. Yeah. But I just, I cannot visualize a world where Punk is cheered over the elite in arena to maybe the odd arena, maybe like Chicago might still back him, but arena to arena, I can't see it. If you take the elite out of the conversation, you put him up against Moxley, who's getting cheered. Oh yeah, Moxley. Do you know what I mean? And he miles. at this point, he at this point waves that AW flag just as much as the elite themselves. 
So, or he's as part of the DNA of the company. So, yeah, I think that's the that's the way to go. Absolutely. I want it to happen though. Like, there's more money in Punk Omega than there was before. That's what's yeah. That's what's cool about this. If, a, if they can sort a, it, that is a monster of a man. Yeah, and I hope one day to see it. I would actually like to see an ROH, uh, CM Punk booked ROH as well. I'd yeah. love to see CM Punk book a wrestling promotion. I really would like to see that. But again, these are uh, potentially naive thoughts. But time will indeed tell. Um, apologies if we didn't get to your question. There were too many of them, and we've gone an hour or there or thereabouts. Uh, we just like to do this periodically because we get loads and loads of engagement on Twitter, for which we're thankful, but I just do not have the time to answer all the questions I get. And I really feel bad because uh, it's, just a, it's just such a unique, ridiculous position of tri- privilege <laughs> where people want to hear my thoughts and opinions and I, just don't, I can't physically get around to every question I get asked. So we'd like to do this on occasion, just yeah. as a thank you for the engagement, if nothing else whatsoever. And you can engage with us on Twitter. Very good. At WhatCultureWWE, and individually, where you can get Michael Hamflet at. Michael Hamflet. You can get me at uh, M. Sidgwick. And we dropped a Halloween Havoc. Is that going out today? Yes, Halloween Havoc. We today. dropped a Hall- Hall- uh, Halloween Havoc preview. Uh, we've got a Rampage and hopefully SmackDown preview for you tomorrow. So if you decide to dedicate more of your time um, to us during your day, you'll have your content needs so vist. Um, and until then, the next time we see you, we will see you soon. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to (laughs) pretend that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.